Bibles out tonight. Your sermon notes are on the back of your bulletin, and you're definitely going to want to take notes tonight. This is the book that we're following. You saw a little video there, Sons and Daughters. We have it out there for the absolute cheapest price. You can buy it even online. So uh, pick it up if you can. It's a book that completely impacted my life. And uh, for about a year now, I've been waiting to share it with you. And so I, I'm really excited about tonight and the opportunity to share it with you. I'm excited about our small groups that you can all be a part of in the weeks to come. Just give God four weeks and allow him to speak to your heart and to your life. And I believe that God has something big for you. God likens our relationship with him like a family relationship. That's what God designed us to be. It designed you and me to be a part of his family. When he saved us, it wasn't to be a spiritual orphan. It was to be part of his family, and we're even part of his family here at a church. He says, I've adopted you into my family. This is part of a, a theme that's throughout the New Testament, this idea that God says, I want you, I'm going to take you from where you're at, I'm going to place you into my family. John chapter 1 begins to tell us what this is all about. Beginning at verse 12, it says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. This is the story of being born again. When Jesus talks about that I want you to be born again, this idea that I'm going to be birthed into the family of God. And so that's our primary relationship with Jesus, this idea that I'm a part of his family. See, a lot of times we think of God not like our family, we think of him like an accountant. You know, on the cross he said, it is finished, that all our sins have been paid for, and so we kind of think of him like an accountant. He kind of keeps the books and makes sure that everything's paid for, and, and we think of him in that mathematical term. Sometimes we think of God like our boss, that he's the one that tells us what to do. He's our Lord, he's our master, and we follow him, kind of like a, a work relationship. Sometimes we think of God like a, a lawyer, because there's no condemnation, right? And so he's making sure that when the enemy makes accusations against us, it's taken care of. So it's kind of a, a legal relationship that we have with God. And all those are true, because they're all in the scripture. But Jesus is very clear in his teaching. For you, for me, for everyone that follows him, that God is our Abba Father. That Yahweh, the great I Am, is not just some distant dad. He is our close Abba Father. And to be very honest with you tonight, one of the questions I will probably have for God when we get to heaven is why did you choose as the primary relationship between us and you that of a father? Because we try to be good dads. I, I, I saw the men that were at our, our influence seminar, and they try to be good dads. We have great dads in this church, but we all fall short. You may have had a dad that, that didn't even try at all. Maybe he wasn't even there. There are many hurts that come from our dads. There's wounds even when they're not around. And sometimes when they are around, it'd be better if they weren't around because of the abuse or whatever else that you fill in the blank. You know that sometimes dads can wound us deeply. I believe that's why the devil's trying to destroy our families, because 
that kind of separates us from God, right? To think of God as a father, really? Are you kidding me? See, the reality is, is dads have four primary responsibilities, and, and these are just things that, I mean, there's probably a lot more than this, but I was just thinking off the top of my head quickly, what are dads supposed to do? Well, first of all, dad's supposed to lead. He's supposed to lead his family. Number two, he's supposed to provide for his family. Number three, he's supposed to protect his family. And number four, he's called to unconditionally love his family. And I think about that, and I think that's why we have these issues with our dads when our fathers wound us, that it hurts so deeply because we know what dads should be. I think that's why when, when dad isn't who he should be, that, that's why the hurt goes so deep and the pain is so real. It's because we know that he's really supposed to be providing and protecting and leading and, and loving me unconditionally, and he's not, and I'm broken, and And I want to tell you today, listen to me, I believe that God tells us to look to him as our father because he is perfect in every way. And he thinks about not just this life, but all of eternity. We can trust him as he leads and as he provides and as he protects and as he loves us unconditionally. And so what we have to do is take our eyes off our earthly father and place them on our Heavenly Father, and I want to do that tonight in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is probably one of the most widely known parables that Jesus ever teaches. It's the parable of the prodigal son, and I'm going to read the entire parable. I know you know the story, but I chose a different translation so that you can kind of listen and follow along and hear the story with some fresh ears. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want, a share, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About, that time, his money ran, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded the local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate a feast, for the son of mine was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. 
But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And all this time you never gave me even one young goat for my feast, for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The younger son and the older son actually have the exact same philosophy of life. They go about it in two entirely different ways, but they both think the same thing about dad. They think that my performance, my serving, my following what the Father tells me to do, my performance equals my value. So I've got to perform for Dad to gain his love, to be valuable in his eyes. And so the younger son says, look, you know, older brother, you've been doing this great. I could never do this. I'm out of here. I will see you later. And you can imagine the gasp in the story when Jesus is telling this whole thing. But the younger son just says, I'm out of here. The older son says, Dad, I've been slaving for you. Even when the younger son comes back, we see his philosophy of life because he comes back and he's rehearsed the speech and says, look, Dad, I, 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 know, I, I know I blow it, but I'll, I'll work harder. I'll be better. I'll be better, Dad. See, the younger son definitely repents. We can see that in the story. The younger son comes back and he says, I've sinned against both heaven and you. So we know there's repentance and confession in his heart and that's a good thing. But here's his wrong thinking and listen to me. He comes back to God and says, thank you God, thank you Father, thank you Father for taking me back in, but I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's where his thinking went wrong. I believe that we believe that God forgives our sin. And we say, thank you, God, for forgiving my sin. We remember tonight what he did on the cross. And we say, thank you, God, for forgiving my sin in the past and today and tomorrow. And that is the good news, isn't it? We believe that God forgives our sin. But then we try to earn something and say, okay, God, now I'll be good. And we try to earn something that he's already given us. We realize that we're forgiven and, and still his precious child. That would change everything. That would set us free like we were singing tonight. If we really understood that we don't have to live with guilt, that we don't have to live with shame, that we don't have to live in, in condemnation, that those things are not from God, they're from the enemy of our soul. If we would come to him in confession and repentance, and that is so important, I, I wrote about it, in the Bible blog, in your bulletin, and, and I wrote about it because we have to confess and we have to repent, but we also have to remember that it has been paid for completely on the cross. And that's why we remember in communion what Jesus did for us. So we confess, we repent, and then we need to receive the idea that we are sons and daughters of God. We don't have to start performing. See, my kids disappoint me all the time. I have three boys. And this past week, they all three have disappointed me. 
I am pretty sure next week all three of them will disappoint me again. But never have I thought or ever will I think. That's it. You have disappointed me one too many times. This is where I draw the line, son. You are no longer my son. I can't ever imagine saying that. I can't ever imagine saying, sorry, you, you, you've crossed the line. It's, it's too much. Max Lucado in his book, Grip of, Gra- Grip of Grace, I love it. He was dropped by his insurance company. He had too many speeding tickets. He had a fender bender that he, he promises wasn't his fault. But he got that letter from the, the company, and it just demoralized him that he's been dropped. And so uh, he wrote this letter in The Grip of Grace, and he said this is a, straight from the Pearly Gates Underwriting Division. Dear Mrs. Smith, I'm writing in response to this morning's request for forgiveness. I'm sorry to inform you that you have reached your quota of sins. Our records show that uh, since employing our services, you have erred seven times in the area of greed, and your prayer life is substandard when compared to others of similar age and circumstance. Further review reveals that your understanding of doctrine is in the lower 20 percentile, and you have excessive tendencies to gossip. Because of your sins, you are a high-risk candidate for heaven. You understand that grace has its limits. Jesus sends his regrets and kindest regards and hopes that you will find some other form of coverage. We laugh, but a lot of times we live in the fear that we might receive something like that. That at some point, God will say, okay, that's it. Too much, you've gone too far, and and I'm just, that's it. It's over. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is a much better dad than I am. And I would never do that to my kids. I want to tell you, he will never do that to you. God has oceans upon oceans of grace. And he invites us to swim. Do we confess our sins? Yes. Do we repent of our sins? Yes. But now we live and believe that we are sons and daughters of God and that nothing will change that. See, the prodigal son deserved justice. He deserved to get what was coming to him. He had earned his punishment. And a lot of times we say, yeah, God, I've sinned. And, and you can even say, Daryl, you don't even know how bad I am. You don't even know the sins I've committed. You don't even understand how big the sin is. Yeah, Daryl, you grew up in a Christian home, and, and it's okay for you to, to embrace this, but I am damaged goods. I have gone too far. And I'm just hoping that God will give me a little mercy in my state. And that's what the prodigal son was doing, saying, God, I hope you have mercy on me. Father, I hope you have mercy on me. I hope you don't punish me for that, but, but I'm just asking that you let me in as a slave. Just, just let me in, Dad. And that's where many people settle in their relationship with God. God, just let me in. Just, just let me in and I'll be good. See, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And that's where a lot of people stop. I just don't want to get what I deserve. If God, if you could just not give me what I don't deserve. But the reality is God wants to give you more than that. He doesn't want to just give you mercy. He wants to give you grace. And grace is getting a gift that we definitely don't deserve. 
It's getting that gift that we can't earn, we can't get on our own. We swim in that ocean of grace and we are called his sons and his daughters. He wants to give you his forgiveness, yes, but he wants to give you so much more. See in verse 20 of the story, so he returned home to his father and while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. I find this so interesting that dad is the one that runs to his son. Because dad's the one that's been violated. Dad is the one that was really robbed of all of his money. Dad is the one that had that relationship broken. Dad was the one that was violated, and yet who is the one that gives the grace? It's dad. Dad is the one that comes running. There are consequences to our sin. It's just part of life. But there's also a father who sees us a long way off and comes running to us, embracing us, making us his child. A lot of people say, yeah, I get it. But I don't know if I, I, I don't, I still got this sin in my life. I still have this thing going on. Listen, when Jesus is knocking, he just wants you to open the door. He wants you to open the door so he can come in. And you know what? When he comes in, that house might be really messy. But he still wants you to invite him in. Don't let Jesus knock and you try to clean up everything around before you open the door. When you hear him knocking, just open the door and welcome him in. Because he wants to come running to you. The prodigal son comes home probably looking like and smelling like the pigs that he was with. And look what the father does here in verse 22. After the speech that he gives, I don't deserve to be your son, he says, but the father said to his servant, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. The father wouldn't have done that for a slave that came home. He did it for a son that came home. He said, this son of mine. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to to, to get this party started. Start putting the things together for the party and give him a robe and give him a ring and give him sandals. And and, and you see that when that, that robe would come on him, who knows what he looked like? Who knows what he smelled like coming home? But then that royal robe is put around him, that ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet, that he is a son clothed in the royal garments. Let me tell you, when God looks at you, he sees you robed in the righteousness of Jesus. It says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. We don't wear our old filthy clothes. We wear the clothes of Christ. We wear the the clothes of sonship. We are sons and daughters of God. And we don't have to perform to be a son or a daughter. When Jesus began his ministry, the very first thing that he does before he preaches a sermon, before he does a miracle, before anything, the very first thing Jesus does in his life of ministry is he goes and gets baptized by John the Baptist. He hasn't done anything. 
He's, he's far from the cross at that point. I mean, he just, he's just getting started. He hasn't done one thing. And he goes and he's baptized and he comes up out of the water. The Bible tells us that the Spirit descended upon him as a dove and there was a voice from heaven. The Father in heaven says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. I think that's significant because Jesus hasn't done anything. And yet the Father is well pleased. He hasn't taken the first step in ministry. He hasn't done the first thing in ministry. And yet the Father is well pleased. Do you believe me tonight when I tell you that the Father looks down and if you could hear his voice, he would say, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. We don't perform for dad. Maybe you had to. But you don't have to perform for our heavenly Abba Father. He says, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. And too often we beat ourselves up because we're not good enough. We beat ourselves up because we're not good enough. Or the other extreme is we beat ourselves to do better. Come on, you can do better. Let's do And, and we have these two extremes in our life. We are sons and daughters not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done for us. You are God's son. You are God's daughter simply because he's chosen you. It's funny because I I think of uh, in worship time, I've said it before and I was thinking about it this week. It's like, uh, I've said things like, God, we welcome you here. You know, I, I I thought of like coming home and, my kids going, Dad, welcome to our home. And it's like, well, it's kind of my home, but thank you. I appreciate that you're welcoming to the home. It, it's, it's already mine. I, I did it all. I paid it all. And the thing is, is that God's the same way. Look, look, that's great. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Stop, take off the tap dance shoes. Stop trying to perform. Stop hiding and running away. You're my son. You're my daughter. That's what God is saying. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me tonight? And I just want you to think about it. God has chosen you. He has adopted you into his family. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, just thinking about this. Last week I was in, in Colorado and I was able to connect with Jared Anderson, who was here and led worship at the church here and at Ascension Convention. And, and many of you know he was adopting children from... Uh, children from... Uh, Haiti, and, and uh, he finally got him a week ago. And, and I, I just, he was so excited. He was just, you know, you could tell he was super tired because the young kids had come home, but he adopted a little boy and little girl. They were his son and his daughter. They were his son and daughter when he was here, and they weren't even in the country yet. They were still in Haiti. That everything that he had was already theirs because he had... He had called them to be his son and daughter. I want to tell you tonight that all that God has for you, all that God has for you, is already there. You are his sons. You are his daughters. He has done it all. He has chosen you. I want you just to imagine you walking toward God tonight and God running towards you. 
that God is that perfect Heavenly Father that will lead and protect and provide and love you unconditionally. And as we pray tonight, um, we're going to sing in just a moment, but as we pray, uh, I just just want to ask you, and, and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment because I'm going to pray for you, but um, this is, I'm not even going to open my eyes, so this is just between you and God with our head bowed and our eyes closed. Just two groups of people, and we'll just raise our hands at once when, when, um, when the time comes, but I'm just going to ask you this. Are you beating yourself up because you're not good enough? Are you, are you kind of like the prodigal son saying, you know what, um, I'm so messed up. And I want God to have mercy on me, but, but I'll work really hard, God, and I'll try really hard. I just want to tell you, if you're beating yourself up because you're no good, I'm going to have you raise your hand in a moment. I'm going to pray a prayer that sets you free. And there's others of us that walk with God or maybe walk with God our whole life that we beat ourselves up because we're not working hard enough. We think, okay, I'm just going to work a little bit harder, work a little bit harder. I'm going to do a little bit more for God. I'm going to, and, and as though we're slaving for the Father. And all the Father wanted was the younger son and the older son to join him at the party, to join him in a meal, to join him in relationship. That's all he wanted. He just wanted a relationship with his younger and his older son. And so if you're beating yourself up because you're not good enough or you're beating yourself up just to work harder, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand before God in heaven. I'm not looking. No one's looking. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand now. I'm raising mine. Just raise it up before the Lord. Keep it up as I pray. Lord Jesus, set us free. Lord, set us free from a performance mentality. that begs you for mercy and then says, okay, I'll work harder. Lord, we will confess our sins and we will repent of our sins, but then we will stand as your son and daughter in whom you're well pleased. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with sin tonight or struggling with their slavery. And I pray but as we worship you for these few moments before we go, we will hear your voice from heaven, Father, saying you are the son, you are the daughter, and I'm well pleased with you. May we hear your words tonight, God. Well done. I'm pleased. You're my son. You're my daughter. Thank you, Lord. You put your hands down. Would you stand with me? Let's just worship the Lord for a while. He's done it all. He's paid the price. And then we just worship Him, sons and daughters.